This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much that through the ups and the downs, the ins and the outs of life, through all that the world throws at us each day and the things we're bringing in this week, that we can stand on a truth that it is, it's going to be okay in the end. That you're at work and you will work it out. And so, Lord, we stand on that today. And we invite you as we continue uh, to engage with you, to seek after you today, we invite you, would you speak to us? Each of us individually, the things we need, and then us as a community as we seek to continue to engage with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat, everybody. And if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I want to I welcome you to New Life. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm going to be guiding us for the next 35 minutes or so as we continue to engage with God. And uh, a few things to kind of keep us all on the same page, because what we believe at our core is that whether it's your first time here or your hundredth time here, we're all taking a journey together to engage with God. And so we want to start that journey together on the same page. And what we do is we give you this program, and inside of it are just some tools to help us get on the same page. There's some great resources in here you want to look at. But for right now, you definitely want to grab two things. That Start Here card, which is just a connection card, helps you stay connected and have access to our pastoral team, helps us connect with you should you want to take some next steps in your journey. So go ahead and grab that. We would ask that you would get that filled out because we're going to use it a little bit later. And then the teaching notes, they'll tell you where we're going today, uh, what we're looking at, the Bible verses. I'm, I'm giving you some next steps that I think would be really helpful as we continue to engage this topic throughout the week. Because one thing that we believe is that this is, is ideally the starting point of a conversation that you would be having all week with your, with your housemates, with your spouse, with your kids, with God. That this wouldn't be a one-time, one-and-done sort of thing, but actually the beginning of a journey that would guide you this week. And while that might be wishful thinking on my part, I do know that having these tools will help you take some of those steps. So go ahead and get that ready. While you are, I just want to highlight a few things that are going on in our church that I'm so excited about, that I know you're excited about too. One of them is every other month we do these intro classes, which talks about the heartbeat of our church, why we do what we do, what we believe about God, and how that impacts everything. These happen every other month, and every month for the last, I don't know, six months or so that we've been having these, we have 18, 19, 20, 25 people coming through intro. That means that we are constantly having new people come and connect with God and connect with us together. And I'm so excited about that. And that leads me to my next thing. If you're new to New Life, one of the best ways to get folded into our church is to join a life group, a small group of people to share life together, to form friendships. And we've got a video a little bit later to talk about life groups, what to expect, what those look like. But I just want to tell you, it's life group sign-up time right now. And so at any point, if I, uh, if I lose your, your attention, you can go ahead and grab your life group brochure. That would be a worthwhile way for you to spend some time as well. Uh, And then we've got a global outreach night coming up on May 15th, talking about the work that God's doing around the world through New Life. And then we've got a baptism celebration on May 22nd. I mean, these are just a few things coming over the course of the next month that I'm excited about sharing with you. And I just want to tell you what God's doing in our church right now. It's so fun to be a part of, and I'm so thankful to share time with you. That's why I say every week, Sunday's my favorite day of the week, because I get to start it with you. This is my Monday. I get paid to be here with you as we connect with God. I know what you're thinking. I wish I could be a pastor too. It's very, very fun. Let me tell you. And you get to say whatever you want because you got a microphone. So speaking of whatever I want, uh, do you remember junior high? Junior high was an interesting time, wasn't it? Yeah. 
Some of you are saying, no, I blocked that out. My counselor and I haven't gotten there yet. Um, I grew up water skiing and wakeboarding in the summers, and I remember going to junior high one day. It must have been seventh or eighth grade, and uh, one of the kids who we would go water skiing and wakeboarding with, he was in our grade, a good friend of mine, and I walked up to the circle of junior high kids, and that's always intimidating in and of itself. But I walk up to the circle one morning, and my friend is talking about this wakeboarder who is, he's amazing. I mean, this kid is heading to the X Games for sure. He's like, he's busting out 360s. He's doing flips. This kid is awesome. And I'm sitting here in this group of people thinking, who is this phenom that's in our midst? Because my friend kept saying, and he's, he's a friend of mine. He's here. I'm thinking, where is he? This is amazing. And then my friend looks at me, and he says, it's Kevin. Kevin's so good at wakeboarding. Now, you have to understand something about Kevin. Kevin was mediocre at best. This is a theme in Kevin's life. If you remember my soccer stories, okay, average. Not headed to the X Games, headed to math class. That's where I was headed. But you know what I didn't do in that moment? I didn't stop my friend and say, no, 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 I'm not actually that good. Why? Because I learned something right there in that moment, in that group of eighth grade kids. I learned that creative honesty is a great way to gain acceptance. Because they looked at me and they were in awe. And for a brief moment, as the girls looked down on me because I was a junior high boy, for a brief moment, I rose up. And I felt like a king. But haven't we all learned that in our lives? That there is, there's an internal pull to be accepted by people, to be liked by people, to be approved of by people, and that internal pull oftentimes pulls us towards what I like to call creative honesty, which is another term for dishonesty, but we'll get there in a few minutes. But what is it? What is it about, about us that drives us towards that wanting to be accepted, to be needed, to be known, to be loved? And, and what is it about creative honesty that pulls that out? I was reading a book recently uh, and the book is called The Post-Truth Era by author Ralph Keyes. And, and he says some interesting things. One of the things he said is that in a 10-minute conversation, you and I lie an average of 3.3 times in a 10-minute conversation. You're saying, no, I don't. Well, you're a liar. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was good. And you're lied to. Like, you're lied to an average of once every five minutes. In his research, he found that 59% of adults admit to lying to our children. You would say, no, I don't. Now, just think about this for a second. How many of you yesterday, Butter and Eggs Day Parade? It's hot. You're getting tired. It's about a half hour into what? About like an eight-hour parade? And you say, kids, it's time to go. We don't want to go. Oh, don't worry. The parade's almost over. That's what we say. Or we don't get that channel. Or... um, we can't afford that toy. And your kids are looking at you saying, you just bought a, a $10,000 car. You can't afford, afford a $5 toy. We lie about all sorts of things. The candy store is closed. Uh, you know, big guys with white beards. Uh, we lie about all sorts. Of, uh-oh, too close to home? All sorts of things. Why? Why? That's the question for the day. Why are we drawn towards creative honesty? And the question behind the question that I want to explore is, what is it costing us to live in a, in a life, in a culture, in a society where 
creative honesty has become the new normal. What's it costing us? And how can we actually experience freedom from what I believe is a trap of creative, creative honesty? Now, if you're jumping back in today, maybe you've been gone for a few weeks, or maybe it's your first time here. We're in a series called The Good Life. And in this series, we're exploring Jesus' most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And, and the backstory is this. Jesus had this large gathering of people, bigger than our crowd here, and they were from all walks of life, non-religious to extremely religious, paid religious people. And they gathered to see him, and he went up on this hill or on this mountain, and he began to teach the people what it looks like to experience a good life. And by a good life, what he means is an authentic life, a life where you are authentically yourself and you're okay being you, where you experience purpose, where you see people for who they are and they can see you for who you are. And what he says in this, in this sermon is that you and I live in two different worlds, a seen world in the United States in Petaluma in 2016. We live in a seen world, and then we live in an unseen world that he calls the kingdom of heaven. And he says the kingdom of heaven is, is where you live if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've said, God, I want to walk in a relationship with you, if you've, if you've moved from believing that God is a distant deity out there and started to understand that God is a personal loving, powerful, heavenly father engaged in your everyday life, and you've said yes to him, and you've experienced his forgiveness and his, his grace and his healing work in your life, then you move into the kingdom of heaven. And in the kingdom of heaven, there are two distinctives. One, you're God's child, and he's with you. And two, the kingdom can never be shaken. That's why we can say, through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you, and it is well with my soul, because because God will make things right, either in this world or in the next. And Jesus lays out this framework of the kingdom, and then he goes on to say that the world that we live in, the seen world, has certain stories or narratives about how life works, but the kingdom has very different stories and very different narratives. And then he goes and unpacks things that are trapping us in our lives throughout the series. And he says, instead of being trapped, I want you to be free. And in order to be free, you have to understand the narratives of God on various topics. And he just starts to unpack it. Things like anger, things like lust, and now things like lying. And here's what he says when it comes to honesty and lying. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, Jesus says this, and he always contrasts what was with what is in this new reality called the kingdom. He says, again, you've heard it said of the people long ago, don't break an oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows that you have made. And if you've been with us, you know that he's usually quoting something in the Old Testament of the Bible, usually in the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, which were books of law. Because God's people, this nation of Israel, had come out of slavery for 400 years. They did not know how to be a nation. They were slaves for as long as they could remember. They just moved into freedom, where they were their own people group, their own nation, led by God. And God sets up all these laws to help them be a functional society. And so he set up a law about honesty. He said, if you make an oath, fulfill it. If you make a vow, keep it. Because in a civil society, you have to keep the laws. The problem was keeping those laws was not actually leading anyone to freedom. Because you know this and I know this. We can keep laws. They'll keep our society running straight. But laws don't ultimately transform us. And here's how we know that. Because you're driving down the freeway at 75. You look in your rearview mirror and you see a police officer. What do you do? You slow down, at least as slow as the people around you. The police officer goes by, and then what do you do the minute they're gone? You speed back up until you can just barely see them in the horizon. Why? 
Because the law is there to make sure that we are, are a working society, but laws don't transform us. Seeing a police officer does not transform you. It just scares you. But God's great desire is not to have a relationship with us where he's constantly scaring us. He wants a relationship with us that leads us to freedom. And so the people that, uh, that were this, this law was written to in the book of Leviticus, they never experienced transformation. They just had these laws about oaths. When you say something, fulfill your law, fulfill your vow. The problem was they weren't transformed, and so they kept finding loopholes in the system. Because anytime we're not transformed and we're just trying to follow rules, eventually we're going to look for loopholes to get out of it. And so they're looking for all these loopholes. And by the time, by the time Jesus walked onto the scene, they had found loopholes for every single law and every single vow they could make. And that's why Jesus continues and says this, you've heard that it's said, fulfill your vows. But I tell you, verse 34, don't swear an oath at all, either by heaven, because it's God's throne, or by the earth, because it's his footstool. Don't swear by Jerusalem, because it's the city of the great king, King David. Do not swear by your head, because you cannot make even one hair white or black. Only teenage girls have the ability to do that. All, all you need to say is simply yes or no. And then he gets really strong, and we're going to pick this up in a few minutes. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. There Jesus goes again, getting all strong all up in our business. Here's what was happening in his day. An oath was legally binding. It's like two business people today would come and sign a contract. That's what their oaths were. And if they made an oath by God, they had to fulfill it. But they found that if they made an oath by other things, I swear by the hair of my head, by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin, I, you know, I swear by Jerusalem, then they wouldn't have to keep the vows. It got so, it was like, it was like, it was like, uh, it was like cutting hairs. It got so bad that it was like this. They'd say, well, if you swear by the temple, which is the place where they worshiped God, the vow's not binding. But if you swear by the gold in the temple, the vow is binding. Now think about this. All these loopholes, all these laws, and Jesus says, that's no way to live. That's actually trapping you and making it so you can't experience freedom. And the ancient people some 2,000 years ago, they basically believed the same thing we did about honesty, integrity, and lying. They believed that when it comes to lying, we have to lie to get by. That was their narrative. When it comes to lying, we have to lie to get by. And if we're totally honest, we believe the same thing. You and I would all probably say, lying is bad. I, I, don't, I don't want to lie. I don't want to be a liar because I, I don't like having my pants on fire. It's, it's not good to lie. We'd all say that. And yet we lie three times in a 10-minute conversation. What's the disconnect? We'd probably say this. Well, the ends justifies the means. If I tell the truth, I'm going to hurt them. Yes, you, you look fat in those pants. Like, that's going to hurt someone. And so we, we lie. Or we say it's just a white lie. Everybody's doing it. We say, if I tell the truth, this is how we justify If I tell the truth, I'm going to get in trouble. So I have to decide... Do I want to feel bad about lying, or do I want to be in, in trouble? If I'm honest with my spouse that I overspent the budget again, they're going to get mad at me. Is it worth the fight? It's not worth a fight. I'm just trying to keep harmony in my marriage. So I'm just going to not bring that up. And when they ask me, how long have you had 
those shoes. I'd say, oh, for a while. Translation, like 48 hours. It's been <laughs> fantastic. If you're honest about students, students, if you're honest about why you didn't get your paper written, like actually honest, your grade's in jeopardy. Your professor might not pass you. You might fail the class. And so what we have to decide, well, do I want to fail the class or do I want to be, feel bad about lying? And usually we think, well, my, my dog, my, you know, my roommate ate my paper. Why do we lie? Well, the underlying reason we lie this is what Jesus is getting to. We lie to protect ourselves. We lie to protect ourselves. That's why you and I lie. That protection comes in all sorts of different forms. Sometimes we lie so we can get ahead in life. You know, we lie so we can get ahead in work. We lie so we can get ahead in our dating relationship. What are we doing? We're protecting our future. We're lying to protect ourselves. Sometimes we lie so that people will think better of us than we really are. Man, that's how come Facebook is so brilliant, right? Facebook is just your highlight reel. You know, I love posting. If you guys, if we're friends on Facebook, and I hope we are, let's be friends. Um, I love posting about Finder Family Fun Day. That's our, that's our weekly Sabbath. We take space with our family. I love posting about that. You know what I don't post very often are the days I don't really want to go to work. Like, man, church is really getting me down today. Don't want to go to work. Why? Because Facebook's all about protecting our image. And so we lie to protect our, our reputation or our image. Sometimes we lie so we don't get in trouble. If we have kids, we know that, right? How many of us have had that heartbreaking conversation? You know your kid is lying to you. They're four, and they think they can outsmart you. They're like, I don't know how that happened. Uh, yes, you do. I see the paint on your hands. I'm like, could have been anybody. <laughs> Doesn't it break your heart? You're like, I know there's a consequence coming for you. I don't even care about the paint. But when you look at your kid, you say, why'd you do it? They say, well, I was scared. And so I lied. I had to protect myself. And listen. If there is no God, and you're on your own, and you're the only one who can protect you, it makes perfect sense that you would do everything you can to protect yourself. Even lie. Because if no one else is going to protect you, if you're on your own and you have to get yours, by any means necessary, then lying, while it's not a preferred option, it's a viable option. But Jesus says, just say yes or no. Yes or no. No spin, no hype, no putting on the perfect front, no white lies. He says, anything more than yes or no is from the evil one. Why would he say that? Well, here here it is. Jesus is saying anything beyond a simple yes or no. It's from the evil one because when you and I lie, we're actually putting the very thing that we're trying to protect in jeopardy. We lie to protect ourselves. But when we lie, isn't this true that we're always looking over our shoulder to figure out who knows what? 
we lie to protect ourselves. But when we lie, we have to keep our story straight. Who did I tell what to at what time? And when did I tell them I did that? And when did I tell them I got that? What did I tell them about that paper or about my rent check? Tax season just came around. Let's get real. Some of you are like, don't do it, man. Listen, listen. We could all probably say the government takes quite a bit of our money. I got to protect myself. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be creative with my taxes. But when you do that, aren't you looking over your shoulder to see when the man's going to come knocking at your door? The very thing you're trying to protect is in jeopardy the minute you lie. And Jesus says the enemy, the evil one, the devil himself traps you in lies. That's why that, that famous poem by Sir Walter Scott is so true. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. You and I, when we lie, even though we're trying to protect ourselves, we're tangling ourselves up in a web that ultimately will suffocate us. I have this Lord of the Rings image when Frodo goes in and there's the spider, or is it the hobbit? I, and there's the spider and all the webs. Some of you are like freaking out. If you're uh, maybe a generation back, think arachnophobia. And just all over trapped. And Jesus says the only way to find freedom, real freedom, lasting freedom, is to be totally honest, transparent, open. But the only way to be totally honest and open is to understand what Jesus says about you down here. What's his narrative about the kingdom? And Jesus' narrative that allows us to live authenticity goes something like this. It's three parts. God is with us, God knows us completely, every part. And here's the kicker. God thinks we are enough. And I'm going to fill that out for us a little bit. He knows us. He loves us. He thinks we're enough. In your notes, I put down Psalm 139, verses 1 through 17. I want to run you through this. It's one of my favorite psalms in the entire uh, book of psalms. And it's written by a guy named David. And it's, it's a poem that he wrote talking about his understanding of what it looks like to have a relationship with God. It has transformed my understanding about God and about myself. And I put it in your notes because I think for some of us reading through that this week can start to shape some stories about ourselves. And I'd love for you to go and read that this week. But here's what he says in Psalm 139. He says, God knows us. And he says, God, God knit us together in our mother's womb. From the point of conception, God knew you. Think about that. When you were forming, when you were cells dividing and subdividing and growing from that, that blob into the beautiful person you are today, God knew you in those moments. He says that God searches us. That before a word is on our tongues, God knows what we're going to say. He's intensely personal. He perceives our thoughts. He says that God is with us. The psalmist he says, where could I go from your presence, God? And it's a rhetorical question because then he answers it. If I go up to the heavens, you're there with me. If I go down to the depths, you're there. Everywhere I go, he says, you are with me. Your hand is guiding me. And then he gets the fairly astounding part. God knows us, he's with us, and he thinks we're enough. Verse 14 of Psalm 139 says this. I praise you, God, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Some of us need to underline that. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. God knows you. He made you. And he made you exactly the way he wanted to. Which means that he thinks, when he created you, he thinks that you're enough, that you're good enough, that you're smart enough, that you're talented enough, that you're strong enough, that you're pretty enough, that you're handsome enough, that you're doing enough. He thinks you're enough. That means when you wake up in the morning and you feel like, here's another day, I don't know if I can do it. God is whispering in your ear, you can do it. You're enough. I believe in you. I've given you everything you need to be exactly who you are today. You don't have to pretend to be him or her or them. Don't put on the masks and try to, try to make everyone believe that you're something you're not. He, he says, boy, if you just knew you the way I know you, and if you believed in you the way I believe in you, you would see that you are enough. And that, friends, is a game changer when it comes to honesty. And here's why. Because why, why do we find ourselves lying? We lie to protect ourselves, our identity, our, 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 our story, our job. We try to protect. But God says you don't need to protect yourself anymore because when I look at you, I'm telling you you're good enough, strong enough, smart enough, talented enough. And if you would just let people see the actual you in any given situation, whether they think that you're enough or not, I'm your heavenly father and I'm telling you you are. So you can just be you. And in being you, you can be free. Free from looking over your shoulder and wondering, who did I say what to? Free from wrapping yourself in webs that will ultimately strangle you. Just say yes or no. Anything more than that is from the enemy. Now I'm going to give you a little bonus because i got just a few minutes. The question you're probably asking, I hope, is, okay, so how am I honest? How am I honest without being brutally honest? Some of you need to ask that question right now. Just ask it, please. I'm begging you. How, how, do, I, how do I not just say, yeah, you do. That looks bad. You look ugly. I don't want to be with you anymore. That's brutally honest and not kind. Here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. And the Apostle Paul, who was a... He was kind of a say-it-like-it-is kind of guy. Paul, Paul used to say it like this. He said, let, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Don't, don't, don't let anything flow out, because once it's out, you can't suck it back in. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Only say things that are going to build others up. So, the question becomes, so when it comes to honesty, how honest do I get? Well, think through this rule of thumb. Is this going to build them up or tear them down? If it's going to tear them down, you don't need to ultimately say it. That's not lying to hold your tongue. There is wisdom in that. Let me tell you, I'm coming up on 10 years of marriage, you young married guys. Let me tell you, there's wisdom sometimes in holding your tongue. But you can be honest and you can build people up at the same time when you're enough and when you believe they're enough. Remember we talked about this last week, understanding the divine spark in the person across from you. When you're enough and they're enough, all of a sudden our conversations become totally honest and open and transparent. And you might be wondering, well, how can you say I'm enough? Well, it's actually not on me. Here's how I can tell you, though, that God thinks you're enough. And it all goes back to this central message of Christianity that we talk about every week that we celebrate in communion, that God 
looked down on earth from heaven, and he saw us, that we were separated from him by our sin, by our brokenness, by the pain that was thrust upon us, by the pain that we thrust upon other people. He saw us, and he thought that you were valuable enough, worth enough to leave heaven and come to earth and to give his life for you. And if God would give his life for you, and he's trying to tell you something, I'm doing it because you matter, and I'm telling you, you were worth it. You were worth it. And knowing that you're worth it can change everything. Which leaves us with this question. Have you experienced and accepted the enoughness of God? Have you allowed God into your life to forgive you of your sin? Have you invited him into your life to heal you from those places where others had thrust their sin upon you? Have you invited him into your life so that you can be like the psalmist and say, where can I go from your presence, God? If I'm up in the mountains, you're there. If I'm deep sea fishing, you're there. Everywhere I go, you're with me. If you've never done that, then we're going to pray right now, and I want to give you a chance just to say yes to God, to respond to his love and to enter into a relationship with him because this kingdom of heaven thing all begins when you say yes to him and enter into a relationship with him. That's where the enoughness comes from. And if you're ready to make that decision today, I'm going to pray and give you a chance to do that. I'm actually going to pray two prayers. The first is for those of us who, uh, who find this topic specifically a tough one. Like any false narrative that we've believed and we've lived in for 20, 30, 40 years, honesty can be a, a tough thing to re-engage with. And I'm going to pray for you that you would find freedom in honesty this week. And then the second group is, if you're ready to commit your life to God, to start a journey with him, I'm going to give you a chance to pray and respond to him and say yes and start this journey. So would you join me as we pray together? Jesus, it, it seems that, that in each of these, uh, these major narratives that you're rewriting for us, that there is extreme freedom that you want for us. I believe that you're not trying to take anything from us, but you're trying to give to us the good life, the life that we are created to live. And for some of my friends in this room, complete transparency, complete honesty is, boy, it's a huge, it's a huge hurdle to jump. And I'm asking Holy Spirit that you would help each of us know that we're enough in you. And that being ourselves, not trying to protect ourselves, but simply being ourselves in your book is all you've ever asked us to be. So would you help my friends find freedom? Would marriages be marked by, by authenticity? Would friendships be marked by total honesty? As we go into the workforce, would we be known as the people who are completely above board in all that we say and all that we do? And as we do that, God, would, you be, uh, would your name be made known or be famous in the workplace? Because as we follow you and we live in, in honesty and vulnerability, would others just be drawn to your presence? As we continue to pray, if you're here and you're ready to enter into a relationship with God, you can repeat these words after me. Say, say God, I want to have a relationship with you. I believe that you gave your life for me. And I want your healing. And I want your forgiveness. 
and I want to be guided by you. So would you come into my life? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you show me what it looks like to walk with you every day in the kingdom of heaven? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.